Thank you, Becky and uh, Mary, for that ministry and music. We are coming to a close to the study of the attributes of God. This isn't our last message, but we are winding down to be sure. And it is my intent to try to make more application concerning those attributes that we've already studied. Uh, We've been making application all along, but I want us to have some uh, general overviews and thoughts Concerning the attributes of God. Tonight, what I have to say to you is quite simple, but yet also quite profound. If you keep these simple truths in mind, they will save you from a great deal of doctrinal error and confusion. So tonight, we begin by looking at how is God different from us and how is God like us. Tonight, we are going to be spending our time in how God is like us. Next Sunday night is campfire. So, Lord willing, the Sunday after that, we're going to look at how God is different from us. Tonight, I would say to you that the essence of godliness is, in fact, God-likeness. When we are like God, we're godly. And when we are not like God... We are ungodly. That's one of those simple truths, but yet is extremely profound. The more we are like God, the more godly we are. The less we are like God, the less godly we are. But you see, as you keep those thoughts in mind, it preserves you from many aspects of what people think has to do with godliness, because there's no way to apply it to God. Uh, you know, for, for so many, dress becomes huge. And uh, you dress a certain way to be godly. Maybe it's dressing with black clothes. Maybe it's always wearing long sleeve shirts. But you see, what does that have to do with God? How does God dress? And the obvious answer is, well, God is a spirit. God doesn't dress in any particular way. And so godliness is not about dress, so modesty certainly comes into the picture. But overall, it's not about that. Godliness is about being like God. For example, 2 Corinthians 11.2, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. So what is that? What is a godly jealousy? For I betrothed you to our one husband, that to Christ, that I present you as a pure virgin. If you remember, I spent a night on the fact that one of the attributes of God is that he is jealous. That he's a jealous God. Meaning that he wants no other gods before him. 
We said that he was faithful to us in a covenantal relationship, and he expects us to be faithful to him in a covenantal relationship. So you can see how Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, with the type of jealousy that God manifests, one of covenantal faithfulness. So tonight we review some necessary considerations of God. When we come to talk about the character of God, we realize that we cannot understand everything concerning God. How then we approach our under, how then are we to approach our understanding of God? This question is not as unimportant as it may seem. So the way in which we think about God becomes very significant. If we think about God in the right way, then we can make practical applications for our own life and godliness. So number one, there are characteristics of God that are like us and some characteristics that are very different from us. This is the most common way to talk about God's attributes or it is the easiest way to think about God. The attributes of God that are different from us are called incommunicable attributes. The incommunicable attributes of God are those attributes that God does not share or communicate to others. I will give examples later. The attributes of God that are like us are called communicable attributes. The communicable attributes of God are those attributes that God does share or communicate to us. So the communicable attributes of God are in some ways a lot easier to understand. That is because in these areas, these are the areas that God is like us. To some degree, they are a part of our experience. We can think of illustrations and situations when these attributes are applied in a manner common to us. So tonight, we'll look at one such as love. God is loving. That is a communicable attribute. God gives us the capacity to love. Therefore, we are to love in a similar manner or fashion that God loves. And we can understand God's love because we experience love in our earthly relationships. The most difficult attributes of God to try to understand are the incommunicable attributes of God. That is because these are areas that God is very different from us. They are not a part of our experience. Key thought. There is nothing within our experience to compare them. That is essential to our understanding of the incommunicable attributes. They are singular or peculiar or unique to God. There is nothing in creation that reflects the incommunicable attributes of God. They are totally unique to him. So why is that important? There is nothing with our experience to compare them. In fact, any comparisons are woefully, keyword misleading. For example, the fact that God is triune in nature. That is a characteristic that is unique to the Godhead. There is no other cr creature, being, created thing 
that is triune. Only God is triune. And because of that simple fact, it's very difficult for us to get our minds around the concept of the Trinity. I've been wrestling with, if that's where I want to go next, to talk about the Trinity. But it's very, very difficult to communicate because it's beyond our experience. And how do you talk about things that are beyond our experience? But what I want to emphasize tonight is the fact that there is nothing that we experience that is triune. Why is that so important to keep in mind? Because people want to illustrate the Trinity. There is no illustration of the Trinity. Every illustration falls short. Every illustration breaks down. Every illustration is woefully misleading. If you take it to its conclusion, it will not teach you more about God, but rather, in fact, will mislead you in your understanding of God. For example, let me give you the two classic ones that you probably have heard of when people want to explain the Trinity. One of the classic illustrations is water, ice, and vapor. Three forms of water. And they compare that to the Trinity, three persons existing in one. But the difficulty of that is that they are different modes. Okay, so that water becomes Ice, ice becomes vapor, but you see they are, in fact, three modes of existence. And one of the doctrinal errors that has come down through time has been a modalistic approach in the understanding of the Trinity. And you will hear people talking about God the Father Becoming God the Son, who becomes God the Holy Spirit. That's not the Trinity. It's not God changing mode. It's not the Father becoming the Son, and the Son becoming the Holy Spirit. That's not right. Another common illustration of the Trinity is the egg, with the shell, and the yolk, and the white of the egg. That emphasizes one egg. But it woefully falls short in the understanding of that one egg being three separate entities that exist independent of each other. That is a complete egg, if you will. So, as I say, every illustration of an incommunicable attribute will fall short. You can't illustrate an incommunicable attribute because there is nothing like it. Okay, that's something basic to keep in mind, which is why then it becomes hard to explain. E, when we state that the communicable attributes are those attributes which God shares with us or that we have in common with God, we must be clear in what we are saying. First, there is one very important danger that we must avoid when we think of God's communicable attributes. That danger is in thinking that there are certain ways in which God is just like us. 
In the areas of God's communicable attributes, he is still different from us. I will unpack that in a few moments. Certainly, even in the communicable attributes, we are not identical to God. We possess a likeness in a lower degree. Not just the likeness that has been corrupted by sin, but even in a pre-fallen state, that likeness is only a minuscule manifestation of the real attribute of God, such as knowledge. Knowledge is a communicable attribute. But God is all-knowing. We are finite in our knowledge. The fall has corrupted our finite knowledge. And so, because of a fall of Adam, because of sin, our reasoning and thinking has been corrupted and, and we, our conscience no longer serves us well and convicts us of things that it should not and fails to convict us of things that it should. So, our sinfulness has marred our knowledge. But what I want to stress tonight is, even apart from sin, even if there were no sin, even if Adam did not sin, he would not have been all-knowing. His knowledge would always be lesser than God's knowledge, and our knowledge will always be lesser than God's knowledge. It will increase. We are told that one day we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. But we must always understand that that doesn't mean we become God. Or that we are fully like him. We are more like him. But we will never become omniscient. We will understand more than we understand now. But we will never be omniscient because we will never be God. So it's important that we make that distinction. So theme for our study this evening, we're going to emphasize aspects of God that are like us. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, I spent quite a bit of time in a series on the image of God, in which I unpacked that verse and, and uh, Genesis 1 and 2. You may remember that series, you may not. So, it's not my intent to unpack all of that tonight, simply to say there are ways in which we're to be like God. So, number two, how is God like us? The communicable attributes of God. Well, one of God's attributes is love. God is love. And we are able to love too. God's knowledge. God has knowledge and we're able to have knowledge too. God's mercy. God is merciful. And we're able to show mercy too. God's justice. God is just. And we are to exercise justice. God's power. God has power. And we have power also. This list is not exhaustive, but rather is illustrative of the communicable attributes. So these are the kind of attributes that we're talking about. These are ways in which we are like God. But even in the communicable attributes of God, God is not 
entirely like us. Or perhaps better said, we are not entirely like him. For God's love is greater than our love. God's knowledge is greater than our knowledge. God's mercy is greater than our mercy. God's justice is greater than our justice. God's power is greater than our power. In all of these areas, God's attributes are always infinite. Infinite. And in all these areas, we are always finite. That's the main distinction. He is infinite in all these attributes. We are always finite in these attributes. So, number four, the goal in studying the communicable attributes of God is an easy one. Easy to understand, but not easy to achieve. We study the communicable attributes of God so that in these characteristics, we will be more like God. Now, there are other applications that we can make. That's not the sole reason to study the communicable attributes of God, but it's the sole reason that I'm going to look at with you this evening. Because it is primary to our understanding. God is the standard in the communicable attributes. And so... In all of these areas, whether it be love, whether it be justice, whether it be mercy, in the exercise of these attributes, we want to be as much like God as possible. He becomes the standard. He becomes the object. He becomes the one that we are to look to. So we want to love like God loves. We want to be just like God is just. We want to be merciful like God is merciful. So let's look at two of them this evening. First, a consideration of God's love. Our love is to be like God's love. Or more specifically, like Christ's love. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even... As I have loved you, that you love one another. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You see, that's within the scope of our experience. That is for us easier to understand than the Trinity. We are taught that we are to love like Jesus loves. And we're to love one another like Jesus loved us. But we must understand the similarity must be one of kind and not of degree. We will never, ever love one another with the same intensity that Christ loves us. We will never, ever love one another with the same greatness that he loves us. So we have to ask ourselves... In what way is it that we are to love one another like Christ loves us? Well, the text tells us. We're to love one another in the same manner that Christ has loved us. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. We must keep in mind that we are incapable of loving one another to the same degree that Christ loves us. 
We are incapable of loving with the same intensity that Christ loves, not simply because we are sinful, but also we are incapable of loving with the same intensity because we're finite. So, remove sinfulness. All right? Now, when I say remove sinfulness, that's very important because we are sinful. Therefore, we can never love with the same kind of selflessness that Christ loves. Because we are sinners, there is always a selfishness associated with our love. We never love purely for love's sake. There's always something in it for us. There's always some benefit that is derived from our loving someone else that we are expecting in return. Because of our sinfulness, it is never truly, completely selfless. So, people give to charity through buying a raffle ticket and hoping to get a motorcycle in return. Hoping to get some benefit, hoping to get something out of it. Husbands love wives, hoping that they in turn are going to love them more, etc., etc., etc. But tonight, the emphasis is not on sinful corruption. It is even if we weren't sinful, we would still be finite. And so, we still would be incapable of loving in the complete way in which God loves us. Because we are finite, we can't love all of God's children. We don't even know all God's children. We don't know God's children in Africa. We don't know God's children in Lower Tibet. We don't know everybody in the other churches. God knows everyone. And God loves them all. We're finite. We can't. If we are honest, there are very few people in our congregation that even knows the name of everyone else. If you look around, there's probably someone here tonight that you don't know real well. And there are those that you are closer to, those you have a greater affinity to, those that you're most, more likely to help out, and so on. And that isn't just a matter of selfishness, that's a matter of our limitations. We are incapable of knowing everyone. Because we are not omniscient. Three, husbands are to love their wives in a similar manner in which Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. The similarity in loving one's wife to Christ loving the church is threefold in the text. First, we're to love our wives by putting her needs before our own. Husbands, love your wives. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So he was sacrificial in nature. 
He died for the church. He put the needs of the church before his own. So we are like Christ when we put the needs of our wife before ourselves. But now, here's why it's impossible to do true Christian counseling without the person you're counseling knowing the Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior. Here's where taking the principles of Scripture and trying to apply them to people who don't know the Lord falls short. Anyone is able to put other people before themselves. That's generic in being. Right? Uh, they may not want to, but we're all capable of that. But two, we're to love in our wives in a manner that sets them apart from the way in which we love others. That he might sanctify her. Okay. So, we're to love our wives in a way in which we don't love other people. Just as Christ loves the church in a way that he doesn't love others. Okay. And uh, he doesn't love all the disciples the same. If I would say tonight, who was the disciple that Jesus loved the most? It would be John. All right. We all know that. All right. So, there are like Christ... We are, and it is appropriate for us to love our spouses in ways that we do not love others. And so it is a huge blasphemy to practice an open marriage and portray that as being loving. When you are being unfaithful to one's spouse, and yet that is being described as loving. That's not. That's not. But, notice, number three, we're to love our wives through the ministration of God's Word. That we might sanctify her, how? Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. So that the Word of God becomes the instrument by which we love our spouses. That's how we determine what the loving thing is to do. What it means to put others before ourselves, we follow the word of God. And then fifth, lastly, we're to love our wives by accepting them fully. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle in any such thing, but should be holy and blameless. So we love our spouse by accepting them fully. But notice... In Ephesians 5.27, part of that acceptance is that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Christ loves the church with the intent of presenting the church to himself in a holy manner. So, we live in a culture, in a world that uses sexual activity as a euphemism for love. Making love. To engage in sexual activity before marriage is not love. It's lust. And it robs both the partner and the individual of the privilege of presenting that person holy, without spot, and blameless. 
before us. So, the loving thing to do is to guard the purity of the one that you're dating. Tonight, young person, if you really love the person you are dating, you are going to treat them with respect and desire to keep them pure. And if you don't treat them with respect and you don't have the desire to keep them pure, that's not love. That's lust. And that's not selfless. That's selfish. And that's putting your needs before others. So you see, the attributes of God help us to understand how we are to manifest those same attributes in our own lives, how we are to define them, how we are to use them. So let's look at the, the next one. Well, so B, thus we are to love in the same manner that Jesus loved, but we cannot love to the same degree or intensity or beauty that Jesus loves. We cannot guard the purity in the same way in which he is able to make pure, etc. But a consideration of God's holiness. 1 Peter 1.16 Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What in the world does that mean? Have you ever wrestled with that? It is probably the most fundamental question that needs to be answered when we talk about spirituality, when we talk about being like God. How in the world can we be holy like God is holy? What does that mean? Does that mean we are to be as sinless as God is sinless? Well, if you think that's what it means, you're going to be incredibly frustrated. And you're going to throw up your hands and say, it's impossible. Because it is impossible for us. We aren't going to be sinless. So what is it that is being communicated when it says, be holy for I am holy? Number one, we cannot be holy like God in degree or intensity. God is so holy that he hates sin. The scripture describes our relationship to sin as there's pleasure in sin for a season. If we want to be honest with ourselves, there are certain sins that we find to be pleasurable. That's why they're a temptation to us. That's why we succumb to them. That's because why we struggle. And even though we may resist the temptation, yet the allurement is still there. There is no allurement for God. In fact, James says that he does not tempt and he cannot be tempted. There is nothing to appeal to God in his character. For God is so pure that he cannot even look upon sin. He hates sin. Number two. So we must be holy like God in manner. 
1 Peter 1, 5, notice, uh, 15. Notice the verse that precedes it. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. That's our goal. God's holiness then becomes the model for our conduct. This understanding will preserve us from many errors and griefs. So, we can't be holy like God in intensity. We cannot be holy like God in purity. It's impossible for us. We are finite. The best that we can do, and what he asks of us, is that in our behaviors, we separate ourselves unto seeking to do the will of God. Not sinless perfection. So number five. The goal in studying the communicable attributes of God is an easy one. First, we study the communicable attributes of God so that in all those areas we be more like God. We want our love to be more like God's love. That sacrificial love. That purifying love that we just talked about. We want to emulate. We want to we want to uh, uh, imitate the way in which God loves us, knowing that we cannot love with the same intensity or with the same infinitude. Two, we want our mercy to be shown more like God's mercy. We want our knowledge to be more like God's knowledge without sin, etc., etc. So the communicable attributes of God become the model for exercising those similar attributes in our lives. The communicable attributes of God become the standard by which we measure the manifestation of these attributes in ourselves. So we constantly are going to fall short. But this is the essence of Christ's likeness. What does it mean to be like Christ? It means that in all the communicable attributes... We are trying to manifest them more and more in a manner and way in which Jesus manifested them. We want to be merciful like he is. See, this is the measure of true spirituality. The more we exercise these attributes like Christ, the more spiritual we are. Because it's going to take the Holy Spirit to produce these attributes in us in the way that they should. So we find out in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control. Against such there is no law. You see, it requires a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to make us more like Christ. The Holy Spirit is able to Enable us to overcome some of the weaknesses of our sinfulness and even enlarge our capacity in some of the areas of our finiteness. So that not only does the Holy Spirit help us with our sinfulness, but it also helps us with our knowledge. So that, for example... I said sin corrupts our knowledge or understanding of God. The Holy Spirit helps us to correct that misunderstanding. But the scripture also says, eye has not seen, 
ear is not heard, neither has ever entered into the heart the things which God has prepared for them, but they are spiritually discerned. So, God is able to help us overcome some of our limitations so that we have a greater capacity than what we presently have. And even if we were not sinful, Adam and Eve, for example, could have had a greater capacity to manifest the likeness of God than what they did. So that's true spirituality. Such a study should humble us in evaluating our own strengths. So whatever we think we have arrived, we still fall far short in our comparison with God. And such a study should increase our dependence upon God in manifesting these communicable attributes. It ought, it ought to cause us to see how needy we are in our efforts and goals to be like Christ. That's why we need to pray. That's why we need to develop our relationship to the Holy Spirit. Because without Him, we are going to woefully, woefully fall short. But here's the introduction for two weeks. Number six. We cannot have the goal of being like God in the area of the communicable attributes. You cannot have as a goal, let us be Trinitarian like God is Trinitarian. doesn't work. Okay? There, there, there is no goal for us in the incommunicable attributes. So, A, in these areas we're not like God, we can't be like God, and we will never be like God. So, what then is the relevance in studying the incommunicable attributes? If we can't be like God, then what's the point of God revealing these attributes to us? That's what I want you to think about. That's what I want you to contemplate. And that's what we're going to consider two weeks from tonight. Why consider the, communicable, the incommunicable attributes if we can't be like God in them? Tonight, the thought is, in the communicable attributes... Let us seek to be more like God, but realizing that even in these communicable attributes, it is impossible for us. We will never, ever, ever stop being the creature. In all eternity future, we're still the creature. We're still finite. We don't ever become God. We are human beings that are going to be purified. They're going to be made holy and pure, but we won't be God. Let's pray. Our Father, help us, even in these basic understandings, guard our hearts and minds. May we not become frustrated in our desire to be like you. May we be ever mindful of what it means to be like you. May we not substitute human standards for your standards. May we not 
substitute human logic for what your word reveals. And Lord, help us to truly show forth these attributes in a way that is truly godly in the fact that it is like God, like Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.